Welcome to another episode of Hemp Barons. I'm Dan Humiston, and on today's show, Joy and her guest take an in-depth journey into hempcrete. They talk about the overwhelming benefits of this sustainable, renewable, reusable construction material and the impact it's having on the world. Let's join Joy's conversation with the president of the U.S. Hemp Building Association, architect Bob Escher from Escher Design. Well, hello, Bob. Thank you so much for joining us on Hemp Barons today. Joy, it's a pleasure. Anytime. Please, I look forward to speaking with you. I get to interview a whole lot of heroes on this show, and I just want you to know, brother, that you are such a hero because we're talking about hempcrete. Now, hempcrete, with Escher Design and Hemp Hollow and the U.S. Hemp Building Association, of which you are the president, is a mold, rot, fire, and pest-resistant construction infill that creates the optimal indoor air quality. And, and I hope that you'll elaborate on this. And with a, with a wall of about 6 to 12 inches, or even 18 inches, I suppose, in certain climates, depending on how close you are to a pole or uh, the equator, with very good windows but with no heating or cooling systems, Hempcrete will allow a home to stay at an interior ambient temperature of about 60 degrees Fahrenheit throughout the year, in conjunction with the fact that over 50% of our annual landfill waste is from construction waste for toxic, off-gassing, inferior, temporary materials uh, that we are have begun to use as a society to create structures. So here you come in as the hero saying, I'm going to take on hempcrete and I'm going to find a way to not only improve construction, heal the planet, but also use that incredibly valuable stock of the world's most versatile, valuable plant, the hemp crop. Bob Escher, what turned you on to the hemp plant as a licensed architect since 1988 in Vermont? Well, Joy, number one, I'm hardly a hero, but I appreciate the statements and what, that you went through on that. I'm, I'm looking at myself as strictly a messenger. And mm. that said, the way we started was about four years ago when my son, Alex, who's my partner in all this, came to me and said, that have you ever thought of bringing hemp into your practice as a building material? I, I just said, no, what are you kidding? You know, I do luxury homes. I do second homes. I do libraries, country clubs. You know, this was, hempcrete was not on my list. But Alex <laughs> uh, really pushed me on it. And I said, okay, let's go. So the, the short and long of it is we went out to Colorado in the spring of 2017 to NOCO. And we met Kelly Thornton, who is left-hand hemp, and he does classes teaching people how to build with hemp. And at the same time, Kelly knew Eric McKee, who was looking to build a small building on his property in, in Denver, and actually was hoping that an architect could be involved with him. So the three of us got together, and it was just destiny that we did it. What ended up happening is we went through the motions of designing a small 16 by 20 post and beam barn. And because this was in Denver, in the suburbs, we had to go through the zoning. We went down to this, the city zoning office. When we went to the, <laughs> the lady who was assigned us, said, okay, this is just a small barn, uninhabitable. It's going to be sort of a workshop. 
It's in the backyard of a guy's house in Denver in the suburbs, and it's going to be built out of hempcrete. And she goes, okay, uh, but what, what's hempcrete? Is it hot? <laughs> Typical thing. And so of course. we knew this was going to happen, so Eric and I explained it, and she got really, really excited about it, but totally conceded that she knew nothing about it. So the way we presented it was that cities like Denver and, and even towns like Dorset here in Vermont, you know, they all have goals to meet a sustainability um, yes. level in 2025 or 2030 or 2020 or whatever. And so that was our presentation, that this material, even on a small workshop, is, as you mentioned, it's, you know, it's mold-proof, it's bug-proof, it's carbon negative, it's fire-resistant. The more we t- spoke about it, she realized she was over her head but wanted to learn more, but she bumped us upstairs. And so all of a sudden, we were with the head zoning people, and it was absolutely fabulous. They worked with us on finding the right zoning. In the end, we ended up building the first permitted hempcrete structure in Denver. So when we started the class with Kelly at Eric's property, you know, we had maybe eight people in the class. But over that week, we had over 200 show up. And I, I believe you know Eric. Eric is Mr. Marketing Personality. He can, he can draw anything out of anybody. Because he is one of the most passionate people for hempcrete that I Absolutely. have ever met. And it's that authentic passion that draws those folks. That and his knowledge base, of course. And understand, this was the beginning for all three of us. I mean, well, actually, Kelly's been doing it for a while. But for Eric and I, we were novices, and Alex included. We ended up having over 200 people come. From there, it just snowballed. You know, we were part of the next year's NOCO a bus tour. But the following year, you know, NOCO, we were... NOCO being the Northern Colorado Hemp Expo by Morris Beagle every year in late March. And that's a big deal. Exactly. That's the biggest hemp trade expo that there is in, in the history of hemp thus far. Exactly. And then the following year, we were sort of speakers on the side. And then last year, we were... All, all three of us were speakers, and then this year... I think uh, I got to moderate that panel. Exactly. And, of course, we did Albany <laughs> with you and a couple of other places, but we've got a major announcement coming up next year for NOCO that I really can't get into that right now, but the USHBA and NOCO are teaming together on some really, really cool and good things. It's so thrilled to hear that. And, folks, the USHBA is the U.S. Hemp Building Association, which we exactly. are so thrilled uh, has formed. And when I say we, I'm speaking on behalf of a multitude of organizations. Uh, my own, Hemp Base International, certainly Hemp Technologies, which built the first permitted hempcrete homes right. in the United States, and which I have been so honored to do the training for for many years. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, my Additional roles have taken me away from that. Um, and the Hemp Industries Association. And we're just looking into, I know the U.S. Hemp Building Association site has now gone live. And at our next board meeting, I, as president of the board of the HIA, am presenting to the board. May I want permission to either be a nonprofit or a founding influencer member of the U.S. Hemp Building Association. Just your architecture business is a high-end uh, business. You create and design beautiful buildings. And the fact that you, with all of that talent and skill and grace and diplomacy and professionalism, as well as your leadership skills, Bob, the fact that you are also wanting to take on, and it's everything, take it from a gal who leads three trade associations, one one advocacy organization and and state chapter, um, 
all at, for volunteer, pro bono, non-paid um, work. It's everything. It's how we chop the wood and carry the water. And, and after 30 years of, of in this uh, movement, we've now legalized hemp. So this fact that you are willing and wanting authentically to donate your services and the, and the skills and talent that you have garnered throughout your life and throughout your career to educate and deliver this incredible building material, which will change the world. It not only is going to change the way people live, the, the air quality of their home, the longevity of their home, and I want to talk about that in a minute, uh, but it, it is also, again, delivering a first market for, for hemp because we're not talking about a tremendous amount of processing here. We're talking about decortication, separating that outer bark, that bast fiber of the stalk from mm-hmm. the inner woody core, which we call the herd, and then simply taking that herd and processing it to specifications for hempcrete, which is not that difficult. It's a particular moisture content. It is a particular geometric particle range for the size of the herd, and it's eliminating the majority of the bass uh, of the chaff. So this is not difficult stuff. It gives us, our hemp farmers, a first market, and with, with a two-for, three-for gift that keeps on giving in terms of what it's doing for homeowners, uh, for, for commercial building owners, and for the planet throughout the life of the building. Let's talk for a little bit, a minute now about what hempcrete actually is. Could you explain to the listeners about hempcrete and about its durability? That's easy. Right now when I'm designing a house, it's all with conventional materials. It's two-by-six walls, it's Tyvek, it's wood siding, it's sheetrock, it's concrete foundation. Seal it up. You're sealing it up. The whole push toward the green industry has been absolutely wonderful, but as an architect, I get bombarded with all these, the latest green material. This is the best, and you know, this is going to replace mm-hmm. this. This is going to save the earth. The nutshell of it is that, yeah, a lot of it is great, but a lot of it still is petroleum-based. A lot of it is untested, and a lot of it is, I don't believe, is really as green as it says it is. And, and worst of all, the government agencies energy efficiency and things like that are changing a lot of the rules that force us as architects, engineers, and builders to take on these new products and set new goals for energy efficiency, which is absolutely great. But it ends up costing the owner thousands of dollars more in order to build it. So where's the savings? I'm not saying it's wrong, but you're going to be saving $10,000 in energy costs over a 20-year period, but you're also having to build this house with an additional $25,000 or $10,000 of $15,000 worth of extras. So that really bugs me, but, you know, I'm forced to have to do that sort of stuff. Right. When hempcrete came along, it's a plant, and it's so simple. But the issue was that we couldn't grow hemp here in the United States until the farm bill came through. And at that point... It was a pilot study, and then when it was finally legalized to grow hemp in the United States in the Farm Bill exactly a year ago, that's when the doors are open. But the problem is still going to be the supply. You know, we just went through the first harvest, and there were ups and downs for sure, but we can do it now. We can transport it across state lines. We can get seeds. We can do all these things. But it's a growing industry. It's starting. There are a lot of growing pains. That said, 
now that we can do that, instead of trying to find a way to build conventionally with all these green materials that are forced upon us, I saw hempcrete as a monolithic wall that can do practically everything. Please understand, it's still in the works. We're learning as well as everyone else in the, in the building industry. We also have the precedent of everything that's been going on in Europe, Australia, the Orient, you know, for years, decades, they've been able to do this. When I saw that it was an opportunity to build something that had less materials, a monolithic wall where it's just one piece, you had a stud interior, and then it could be 8 to 12 to 18 inches thick, depending on what the architecture is and requirements. But there were no joints. And anytime there's a joint or a different material that comes together, it's an opportunity for air, air infiltration or water leakage. That really intrigued me. But at the same time, Joy, in my early days starting this journey, and once you know our name got out a little bit, I was getting calls from people that had built that there were problems and issues they were having or questions. And I realized we, we were all learning. And here, in a number of cases, there were some issues that I was being called in as a repair. That's when I stepped back and said, I've got to stay small. And I've got to get the message out that we have to learn how to use this because it's not just building a wall and a hempcrete house made of hempcrete. The hempcrete reality of a house is maybe 30, 35% of it. There's still concrete foundations. There's still excavation. There's still windows and doors and flashing and roofing and appliances and fireplaces and masonry and tile. And the hempcrete part's just a, a section of the house. So we have to learn how to integrate that into a building. And we have to do it right. And so my message has been, let's build small. Let's stay in the realm of outbuildings and barns and structures like that to learn. Because the certifications are in the works, you know, where we can actually have hempcrete as a certified building material that I know what the R rating is or what the insulation values are. So that's three to five years from now. So why not get the contractors and architects and engineers and interior designers and plumbers and masons, why not organize a group that will have an opportunity to learn together? Let's take this three to five years for all of us to experiment on small buildings. Okay, we can make mistakes, but it's on a garage or it's on a barn. My it, mission is life safety, period. Which is wonderful. I, what I want to make sure, I, I'm here also, and of course I've been in concrete for a number of years now, and, and on an international level. So I want to also sure. make sure the listeners know that when Bob is saying we, I think he's talking about folks, I know he's talking about folks in America. There have been commercial buildings, Mark and Spencer's department store in the UK, successfully oh, yeah. done with hempcrete. This is a huge, nobody had to learn or start small, you know, in other parts of the world. Again, there is quite a bit of sophistication around this. And then even the triangle apartment units, which is a 40 unit, you know, apartment development some years ago, which is great to YouTube. If you want to get on youtube.com listeners and type in triangle hempcrete apartments, what a fantastic video you'll get about that commercial process as well. So yes, we certainly do need to learn and brush up here. And, and this is why I think among the many reasons why I absolutely consider you to be a hero, Bob, is your dedication. 
to education and organizing. And that's exactly what the U.S. Hemp Building Association is doing. The mission of that of that association, I just am, am so thrilled with. And of course, without leadership like you and Eric and others on your board, but clearly you're the chairman of the board, we can't move it forward. So let me ask now a couple of specific questions. You and I know a lot about hempcrete, but we haven't shared a lot of that with the listeners right now. So I'm going to ask some questions. And as we wrap up here, we could sort of answer them briefly, just so that I can get through some of the main points here. We can mix the hempcrete, which by the way, hempcrete folks is made with water, a particular type of lime, not your basic agricultural lime, and the herd of the hemp plant, that inner woody core. So we're talking three ingredients. We'd only need to add something else if you were in a certain climate, which would make it so that, you know, you could continue to do, to work with the product um, a little longer. But in every climate that I have worked in, it is water, a specific type of lime, and the herd. Those are the three ingredients. And in general, 411, four parts herd to one part water to one part of this lime. And we can mix that on site and cast it and tamp it. And then it needs to cure. And depending on the climate and the season, of course, it depends on how long it will take to cure. Or we can do prefab panels. Uh, and, and that's exactly what Marks and Spencer did. And what most commercial properties are going to probably want to do because they're not going to want to wait for the curing time. So, Bob, can you explain to us a little bit about the place of prefab and maybe where we're at in terms of investment opportunities and infrastructure here in the United States for prefab hempcrete wall pieces? I believe the only way that hemp can be a marketable building product as a wall system will be as a prefab panel or in blocks. But I want to be clear, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the way that people are building now with, as I call the bucket brigade in a loving way, you know, where you mix yeah. it, you put it in a bucket, and then you form the walls. And it, it's absolutely the perfect way to do it, but it's incredibly time-consuming. <laughs> It can't guarantee the mix is exactly the same as if the walls get built. That is what the founders of the hempcrete building industry of the world did. You know, that's that's how they've always done it. But it's got to come out of that sort of cottage industry and into the mainstream. So there are a number of companies that are working toward the panels and blocks. And I think that you're going to see that coming out. Pretty soon, I know just Biofiber up in Canada has these incredible Lego-style blocks that are being introduced down here, and I know that some of the buildings you mentioned in Europe, those commercial buildings, they use panels also. It's going to be like a modular home system, I think. Indeed, and, and I've had site. you know the great pleasure and privilege of touring. Dunagro in yep, Holland, as well as Isohemp in Belgium. Uh, Albert Dunn of Dunagro creates these prefab, and it's amazing to see them. I mean, they're sitting there curing with the mm-hmm. doors cut out of the panel and the windows cut out of the panel, and I've been able to tour a home with these prefab. It's been interesting because those prefab panels seem to be maybe four to six inches thick. And I know certainly in Vermont, New York, where you and I live, we're going to want to see 12 inch. So I I think that's going to be interesting to see. And of course, the ISO hemp company in Belgium does the blocks. And and we're Mm -hmm. seeing, of course, Canada coming on too. But but I agree. I I love the the bucket brigade, as you say. It's 
it's a barn raising, so almost like yeah, yeah. you know, like it's, it's wonderful and it gets everyone involved. And and if you're on a budget, it's a great way to do it, and obviously a great way to educate. But absolutely, the commercial folks and folks who aren't so interested in a barn raising and community experience are going to want that speed, brother. That's all there is to it. Um, most people think when they hear the word hempcrete, it has this connotation that it's a substitute for concrete. And while absolutely, I don't want folks to think that we can't use hemp for concrete. They're using a hemp herd as an additive in concrete all over the place. That is different than hempcrete, which cannot touch the ground. Otherwise, it will not remain mold and rot resistance. It's an actual daylight, living, breathing wall system. So you would still, if you're going to have a foundation, anything that touches the ground would still be concrete. And and you probably get this question a lot, Bob, because I certainly know that I do. And that is, oh, hempcrete, I'd like to make a driveway out of it. For some reason, people immediately think driveway. And then we have to say, <laughs> no, 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 it's not for to touch the ground. So can you explain to us why it is that hempcrete is a breathable wall system. The secret is in the batter. I guess that's the best way to put it. The way the lime integrates with the the hemp herd and the water, it creates this wall system that will absorb the carbon in the air. It will control the moisture content in the air between the habitable space and the outside. It controls the temperature. It really is a, a miracle how these materials come together and create this end result that is just perfectly suitable for a living space. Your point on hempcrete and concrete, is it concrete? No, it's not. It's a misnomer. At the USHBA, we're discussing now to go on record of what should we call this. And right now, the new sort of term that is catching on is hemp lime, getting rid of the I always part. thought hemp, hemp salation or hemp fill, and that would really... Tell yeah, people yeah. what it is, hemp salation or hemp fill. I always say if we could go back and rename it, maybe that's oh, what they do. And do I want to make sure, again, to educate the listeners truly on the science of hempcrete, that when you say the secret is in, in the batter, why is this product breathable? And for the construction folks out there and the real estate and developer folks out there, we're talking about why is it so vapor permeable? Why is it so hygroscopic? And the answer is the lime cycle. The lime cycle starts out as calcium carbonate. That's what limestone is. Mm -hmm. It is Mm -hmm. quarried at that point. Then it is heated to a very high degree. And when we talk about carbon footprint, you know, concrete, Portland cement, so to speak, that needs to be heated to about 3,000 degrees. This is a tremendous carbon footprint. When we're talking about lime for hempcrete, we're talking about taking that limestone and heating it only to about 900 degrees. Now, certainly we have to account for that carbon footprint, but it's only 900 degrees. And we also mm-hmm. need to remember that the hemp, while it's growing, of course, is absorbing tremendous amounts of CO2. So we get to, you know, balance out a bit there. And in any event, after we're finished heating the limestone, we're left with this quick lime, calcium oxide. That's what's left behind. Pretty caustic stuff, as you know. Don't handle that, although some of these more historic masons work with it, but otherwise normal people do not with normal construction. And then from the calcium oxide, we add water, which is, of course, the flaking process. And then that leaves either a lime putty or it dries out and we 
turn it into a powder. And that's what we end up purchasing. A calcium hydroxide is what's left after that flaking process. Again, explaining the lime cycle here. But guess what happens once it's calcium hydroxide? You well know it wants to be calcium carbonate again. So it starts to grab carbon molecules from the air, which then helps us again with our carbon footprint. So so now it's sinking the carbon, which is also what's making the wall, as you say, monolithic. As the hemp and the lime, uh, the lime wants to turn back into calcium, calcium carbonate, it begins to fossilize the hemp, petrify it, so to speak, which makes it monolithic. While we heated it to 900 degrees, we're pushing all of this CO2 out of the lime. And this creates a spongy, porous material because it, these, when the gas is being pushed up, it creates these bubbles. And it's mm-hmm. that porous, spongy leftover that allows the lime then to be able to absorb tremendous amount of water and excrete it back out. Along with, of course, as you mentioned, so that is not only the humidity regulation, but the thermal regulation when we talk about R values or in Europe, U values, with thermal conductivity and thermal capacity of an insulation, those two concepts are very difficult to reconcile. And yet, because thermal conductivity, of course, is the ability for heat or thermal energy to be transferred through a material. How long does it take for an outside temperature to pass through this insulation and affect the inside temperature. There's That's thermal conductivity. And thermal capacity, of course, is the amount of heat required to change a material's temperature by a given amount and how it can hold it. Could you explain to listeners, Bob, the difference between the pink stuff, your basic fiberglass insulation in terms of thermal conductivity and capacity, in contrast with hempcrete? Basically, the fiberglass, the, the typical insulation in the walls, it basically just creates an airspace, and it creates a thermal barrier so that, you know, we can get an R rating of 20, R21 or R18 or R40. The best way to put it is if you push that insulation too tight, it will not work. So that's why it's the billowy, bushy type of insulation that you see with the fiberglass or rock. A lot of it's petroleum-based. And, you know, this foam insulation, which I've used for years, but I'm stopping now, the R ratings you can get with a spray and foam are astronomical. It's wonderful. But there's reasons these guys are wearing hazmat suits. It's dangerous. This is what I love about it, that it's so simple, and it, it, but it's got to be done right. And that's that's where we have to have you know, a consistent mix, a consistent factory-made wall or block that as architects and engineers are going to be specifying this material, uh, we know what we're guaranteeing to the client. We know we're going to get a R rating of R30 for a 12-inch wall. We know we're going to get a, a fire rating of two hours with a 12-inch wall. You know, but, but I don't have those right. numbers yet. It, it's not certified legally by the United States ASTM and ICC, but it's coming. ASTM taking on hempcrete, and that's, of course, American standard testing and measurements. It is so important because we need for construction folks and construction firms to feel comfortable with it, and we need building and planning departments also to feel comfortable with it. So it's such a huge part of the revolution as we chop the wood and carry the water. These certification and standard folks which, of course, the HIA is involved in, and certainly you are, and, and the trade associations and the industry itself and educating. We're all having to work in tandem together. 
And there's so much to talk about with hempcrete, but for one last question, when we talk about longevity and durability, once again, we know that there are structures standing that are hundreds of years old, made from hemp and lime, uh, a 700-year-old building in Japan from hempcrete, and then the Alora Caves in India. And of course, there was clay in those walls as well, but clay and hemp and lime. And those walls are some 1,500 years old. And where they used this hempcrete with the clay on those walls, the beautiful cave paintings are still preserved. Whereas other parts of the Alora Caves, these ancient caves, which are, are carved and there's it's quite a bit of architecture in those caves that didn't use the hemp and lime and clay. Unfortunately, rodents and time have really worn away at those paintings. So we have yet to see with modern construction how long these buildings will last. I predict they will last hundreds of years, but if we, we wouldn't want to mislead anybody. We're learning in, in the new age how long they'll last. But let's talk then something we do know about, and that's recyclability and reusability. Bob, could you speak to the the listeners about that in terms of what happens when the life of your hempcrete home has ended? The buildings I've been building over the last 30 years, I'm building for the lifetime of the owners, okay? And I've been doing it long enough for better or worse. A lot of my newer clients are children of the original owners that are moving on, either adding on to the house or building something new. So I'm seeing a multi-generational impact on my practice in that way. I also know that when I'm building a house, I'm putting a roof on that has a warranty of 30 years or 40 years. I know that there's warranties on the appliances. I know that there's warranties and time limits on the structural elements and things. How long is one of my houses that I've built conventionally going to last? I, I would hope 100 years, and if it, but it comes down to maintenance, plain and simple. You don't paint it, you don't take care of it, it's going to fall apart. As far as hemp and building with hempcrete, your examples are perfect. You know, there's things thousands of years old using primitive construction methods. How long will a hempcrete house last? That's still to be seen, obviously, because we're so young in the industry, but if and when a house made of hempcrete has to be taken down, but the hemp can just be left buried in the ground because it, it's, it'll just recycle itself into the ground and not cause any pollution or any issues, even with the lime all through it and um, the plaster finish on it. It's, it's totally biodegradable. I don't want to think about having to demolish my hempcrete houses, but that's the way it would happen. I know that when we do demolish a house now, to take an old house down and put a new one up, there's four or five, six dumpsters worth of junk that just go to landfill. That's a lot of junk and a lot of petroleum-based issues that are going back into the ground in a bad way. Indeed. And and I think a soil amendment, it, it, it can certainly yeah. be, as you say, just put into the ground. It can also be purposefully mm-hmm. scattered about mm-hmm. as a soil amendment. And even cracked up and put back in, well, not as a full batch, but a little at a time added into the new batches of hempcrete. It can oh, be yeah, added yeah. into the new hempcrete building. And that's what I mean by reusability. It's just fantastic stuff. Amazing. It's just a plant. It's a plant and it's a carbon sequestering yeah. uh, plant. 
You know, I mean, this is amazing. That has so much planetary healing value as a renewable resource and as a replacement for building materials. And as many listeners, uh, our regular listeners hear me say all the time, human and animal food, nutrition, body care, nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals, paper, textiles, building materials, biocomposites, industrial sealants and coatings, nanotechnology, Mm -hmm. biomedical applications, energy and fuel. Oh, my gosh. Amazing, amazing stuff. And before we get off the line here, Bob, this has been wonderful, and and I can't thank you enough, and we're going to definitely have you on again. There are many people out there wanting hempcrete services, wanting to build an outbuilding or a new building, and I know you're starting small. There's a lot of folks wanting to start small. How do they get in touch with you, and also how do folks join the U.S. Hemp Building Association? Well, I suppose the best way to start would be on the website. It's ushba.org. Excellent, ushba.org. So, Bob, how can the listeners get in touch with you at Escher Design and Hemp Hollow if they want to build a hempcrete structure? The best way, Joy, would be on my website. That address is www.escherdesigninc.com, and there's a whole section in there on Hemp Hollow as far as what Alex and I are doing. And as a Excellent. Before, so they'll just click the Hemp Hollow tab yeah. and they can learn yep. all about it. And for our listeners, Escher Design Inc. is E-S-C-H-E-R Design Inc. One more time, Escher is E-S-C-H-E-R Design Inc. Bob, it has been such a pleasure and an honor to have you on today. I can't wait to have you back again. I'm excited to do more work with you. You're doing some of the most important work in the hemp industry right now. Thank you for all of it. And thank you for being with us today. Oh, Joy, absolutely. And your support has been absolutely the greatest. Thank you so much. And friendship. More to come. Oh, you got it, brother. More to come. Send our best to Alex from Hemp Thank you so much, Bob. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.